good uh, morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on what time you are listening to the show. It is another episode of your favorite hockey podcast, and the name says it all, Hockey the Podcast, with myself eventually getting there, Derek Alberts. And of course, as always, I've got my trusted colleague, my co-host, my friend, uh, the man who knows everything there is to know about hockey, and it is the one, the only Tyron Jabu Barnett. How are you doing, Tyron? Uh, Derek, good afternoon to you. It is afternoon while we're recording. Um, it may be morning or afternoon or evening when you're listening, but it, it's a, a beautiful day here in Joburg. It's cold, but it's sunny. It's uh, like If you get out of the wind, it's quite warm. It just reminds you just how great this country is. And the other thing that I love about this country, of course, is sports and in particular hockey. Yeah. Uh, what a great opportunity to chat about the game again today. Yeah, it's been a really cool day. I'm glad that you you started off with that. I mean, we've been moaning about the weather of late. Uh, a different set of circumstances this time around. It's still rather chilly, though, but the sun is out. Uh, and Joburg really has enjoyed some glorious sun over the last couple of days. Fortunately, the temperature has been still fairly low, so I don't recommend going swimming just yet. But, uh, yeah, who knows? Uh, maybe that's just uh, around the corner. I do love swimming. Uh, not that much, though. But uh, I also do love hockey and it, that passion grows with each and every episode that we record as we near ourselves closer to that all-important half-century mark. And uh, yeah, we keep on speaking up the stellar guests that you bring on board. And uh, this one, no different, Ty. No, of course. And, and uh, it's probably a little bit naughty of us that it's taken as long as this to uh, get the calendars in sync with uh, with Robin, uh, Robin van Minkel, the head coach of the SA Women's Hockey Team. We did try to get him on when we were doing the the farewell for FIH series, and we just uh, haven't got our calendars aligned, but we've managed to do it properly today. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome to the show, Robin. Yeah, hello everyone, and uh, thank you for having me. I've uh, been waiting a long time to, to chat to you guys, and uh, I'm excited that we can yeah we can chat and share some stories today. Uh, absolutely, Pep. I think that's that's an important place for me. I mean, I've known you for a, for a long time. We used to coach, um, never alongside each other, but against each other back in the Eastern Gauteng League. But I actually don't know why I call you Pam, other than that's your nickname. Where did that come from? Yeah, so um, when I went to university um, at Rao, I went to a residence called Dromedaris. And every first year I got a nickname um, in Drom. And because I was also a provincial lifeguard, um, Pam Anderson was the one they chose. And uh, Pam stuck throughout my whole varsity career. And still today, some people know me as well. Yeah, and, and if you did want to keep that under wraps, I apologize for uh, making that the opening question. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, Pam, obviously you've had a, a pretty incredible... Uh, journey, as I said, I coached uh, against you back in Eastern Gauteng, not not with much success back. I mean, a long time ago now. We don't need to say how many years, but you now find yourself uh, as the head coach of the national women's team. I mean, without uh, making you go through your whole CV, tell us a little bit about your journey as a coach uh, that's got you ultimately to this top position that you're in now. Yeah, um, it's been a great journey. Um, I obviously started um, in Easterns, as you said, and I went to university at, at Rao. And I actually started coaching a, um, a school team as a student just to uh, earn some extra cash. And um, I found some success in that. And then um, my first job was at 
a private school um, in Easton's where I um, yeah did well and got another job offer at a, a different private school. And I think through that system, just had success in hockey and working with um, pupils and, and hockey players. And I think the, the key to the success for me was I played many sports growing up and I, I was really successful in many different kinds of sports. And I always wanted to share and teach back my learnings and findings in the different sport that I had. And this was a good platform to do it. So I studied sports science, um, always stayed in the sporting area. Um, with my sports science, I actually became the sports scientist for the SA under 18, SA under 21, and the senior sides. Um, so I was first a national sports scientist before any form of high-profile coach, but I was coaching while I was doing that. And, and kind of the two just gelled where um, I got some breaks as either a sports scientist or a coach, um, got to work with provincial teams and then national teams and then um, some international offers um, like the Indian Hockey League. I went three times to that, um, worked with Austria. Um, I helped Paul Reddington in Ireland and Malaysia. Um, so just as a sports scientist and as a hockey coach, um, I was exposed to so much hockey. And then obviously having a bit of a recipe and being successful in that, um, I find myself now as a national coach. I mean, geez, you've listed a wide range of achievements and positions that you've held uh, in the hockey world and uh, and even more so, as you, as you mentioned, uh, first and foremost, you're the sports scientist. But, I mean, uh, what, would you, what would you highlight as um, your crowning glory, so to speak? And I know it must be tough to choose uh, given what you have managed to achieve, but uh, before signing on uh, with South Africa. Yeah, I think... Um the Indian Hockey League for, I'm hoping all the listeners know what that's about, but it's, it's like IPL cricket. It's exactly the same. So you, each team has an owner, there's a budget, you bid your team, you have 12 Indian, uh, 10 Indians and 10 internationals, and then you play a tournament with the world's best players. And we actually, I went there as an assistant coach slash sports scientist and, and we won that. And, um, I think to win something as prestigious as that was definitely a highlight, but then also I would say put me on the map internationally um, because other offers came from that as well once, once I had um, achieved that. And of course, you can list the fact that uh, you have been one of uh, the few invited guests on Hockey the Podcast. Yeah, exactly. This is onto the CV straight away. <laughs> um, so how, how has, Robin, uh, uh, lockdown, I mean, we, we, we're chatting to you now towards the end of lockdown, and, and I use this phrase quite a lot, talking about seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And I mean, I, I think I've been using it a, a hell of a lot and it really hasn't quite materialized. I think this time around, though, we, we, do quite, we do feel quite optimistic that it's coming to an end. That being said, though, as things near themselves towards the end, uh, we have stories like what happened, say, for instance, in, in Serbia and Croatia with regards to the tennis. Then we've got a lot more cases of COVID popping up. We had the Pakistani cricket side getting COVID. Then miraculously, 10 of them said, no, they didn't actually have it. Um, so we do have these bad stories popping up as sports starts to come back to life, so to speak. So, I mean, ha has it been extremely tough for you? How have you managed to cope? Uh, 
being cooped up indoors, not being able to to hold a hockey stick or instruct someone else how to? Yeah, I think um, the toughest part really was, you know, just before the the lockdown, we were still going to the Olympics. And, and you know, while we were doing all our preparation and getting ready for an Olympic Games, which we, we should have flown out already to it, um, you know, that uncertainty and then the Olympics being cancelled, I think the lockdown's been interesting because all the effort and energy that everyone, including the players and the staff, put in to then be told, look, you know, and luckily it wasn't cancelled, so it's great news that potentially it's a year later. Um, but it's kind of hitting that reset button. And then as a coach, having to replan and then also re-motivate a bunch of players that have given their everything to be selected for the Olympics um, to the point where we had just almost submitted our Olympic team and then to get that taken away um, was tough. So I think the lockdown has really been maybe even a grieving process for a lot just to deal with that and then kind of, as you say, the light at the end of the tunnel now is we know we have a year which is more preparation time than we did have um, to know what we want to achieve and putting something in place now when we do start and we're able to start um, the road that it's going to take again um, to Tokyo 2021. Uh, and Robin, I mean, I find it uh, a very intriguing situation because obviously you have some players who, who are probably in the best form of their life uh, now in March, April, really looking at having a cemented uh, spot in the Olympics. And in a year's time, they could be out of form completely. I mean, how much of a psychological factor is there in the selections going forward that, you know, we owe this player because they worked hard or, or is it more of a case of, you know, we've got to select who's, who's best equipped to give us the best possible result in um, – in Beijing next year? Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I guess that emotional side is always there. And I think we, you know, we're dealing with players and people. Um, but I can say that you know, we will always need to be represented on the international stage with our best team. And, and you, you're 100% right. I think the 16 names that we put down potentially that we're going to go now may look different next year and probably will look different next year. And, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, as, as the team that represents the country, we still need to go and perform. And, um, the, you know, having a, an Olympics this year and a World Cup in two years' time, it kind of makes your cycle go in two years, where next year having an Olympics and then 12 months later having a World Cup and a Commonwealth Games, it really squashes the whole program. So the team will look different. Um, but I guess that at the end of the day, we need to perform as a, as a South African team on the stage to make the country proud. Yeah, and, and obviously, I mean, for your own planning towards it, you, you had um, a few series, you had China in Cape Town and the unofficial tests, and you were going to have a massive uh, a series uh, in April in Durban. Have you been able to line up some opponents next year? Uh, in the build-up to Beijing yet, or is there still too much uncertainty around Corona to to schedule anything? Yeah, so Saha are working really hard to try and secure us a very similar program to what we had this year. So this year we had that summer series early in the year, called that Jan-Feb, 
Fed March type of thing. And then, um, and then we played China, and then we were going to play that um, Durban series. So there are countries that are interested in coming back to South Africa, and I think it might not be the exact same teams, but I think the the lineup of having a good summer series and then kind of a, another tournament pre-Olympics in South Africa um, due to financial reasons makes a lot of sense for us. There is an appetite from the overseas teams, um, but as you say, there's still a little bit of unknown whether – we can travel. How do we travel? Uh, what are the quarantine, um, you know, the rules behind it? So I still think we're a little far out, but rest assured you, we, we are planning and we're making sure that as soon as we can play some international competition, we do. Robin, you've come up against a host of uh, many different opponents uh, across a wide range of teams that you've coached. Uh, who's right up there is the toughest you faced? Uh, and the ladies or the men? Or both? Uh, both, both. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I coached Austria in the European tournament and Holland and Belgium men were in our pool. So if you know anything about Holland and Belgium over the last three years, um, that was incredibly difficult and, um, and a big eye-opener and a learning curve. Um, so in the men, I would say Holland and uh, Belgium are right up there. And in the ladies, I mean, this year, January, we played Germany. Um, they're really top team and, and really were in part of their process also for the Olympics. So that was good. Um, last year in Spain, we played Spain and Italy and, and we really competed well. So I was happy with that. But I think, um, I mean, there's no surprises. The Hollands, GBs, Germany's, um, you know, even Argentina of the world, um, all those teams that are going to play at the World Cups and Olympics are going to prepare and really bring bring it to the tournament and conversely which team teams do you enjoy playing against the most and, and by that i don't mean the easiest opponents although you can throw them in um but 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 opponents that you, that you really respect and you can tell that the respect is mutual and uh despite the result you're able to get along with them afterwards and prior yeah so it's it's been interesting i mean i've only been a coach since last year november so it hasn't I mean, sorry, uh, the year before. So it hasn't been a, a long period that I've played many international games, but definitely what's come through is that more countries are, are interested to play the SA ladies side. And I think we bring a physicality um, to the game that, that, you know, some of the, and I'm going to call them pretty technical cu countries. Um, they play beautiful hockey and really technically sound, but like the countries that play rugby just have this presence of being rough and tough and hard. So we like playing those games. And, you know, like Ireland, um, England, um, yeah, pretty much the, the countries with rugby. I know it sounds silly, but um, they, they have a different mindset. Australia, New Zealand, we have a different mindset to the European countries like Spain and Holland and Germany um, that, that don't have that. So, if you're asking my enjoyment factor, I love the physicality and the hard games of of the the Australia, the the New Zealand, the Argentina, the Ireland, the England. Um, but if you want a good hockey lesson every now and then, your the European countries are probably way up there. That that is an amazing uh, assertion um, uh, regarding the the rugby link. I mean, do you think it's a direct result? of rugby being in these countries or do you think it's just mere coincidence? I mean, have you, 
Have you been able to speak to them and say, are you guys aggressive because of rugby? Yeah, I don't know if it's because of rugby, but it's it's having sport in your country that is physical. So if yeah. I had to say to if I had to mention to you to like Holland, name their top sport. I mean, it's football, ice skating, cricket, and hockey. You know, there, there's none of that physical um, like big sports. And and if you look at the Americas, the Australias, the I mean Aussie rules, and so I wouldn't say it's only rugby. But definitely, you know, ice hockey is physical. And I think the countries that grow up and watch a lot and experience that kind of game, it's just in you to, to be that kind of competitive nature. I tell you what, I watched a, a, a documentary. Um, the, it, it, the Italians aren't renowned as a powerhouse hockey side by any means. But um, I watched a documentary a couple of days ago. And what uh, what is the sport called? I'm actually ah, there we go. Uh, so they've got this this event in in Florence in Italy, and it's called Calcio Fiorentino. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know Ty, if you've heard of it at all. No, uh, I th- I think if it's the one that uh, didn't someone mention it on one of our WhatsApp? I, I, I think I think they may have. But a cheese. If you talk about an aggressive sport, um, it amazes me that that Ital- Italy haven't haven't done even better than they have in rugby. Um, arguably the most aggressive sport I've ever witnessed in my life. So it, it, this event happens twice a year, and it takes place in Florence. And what happens is it's between the four major areas in Florence, and it's divided up into four teams. And what happens is in the area that you're born in, you represent that, that area for life. And they play the four teams get together and they play semi-finals and it takes place over 50 minutes in this field. There's 27 players per team and majority of the players have to fight each other. They literally, so it's like a combination of rugby and boxing. So you've got to get the ball right to the other end. But while they do that, you've got these guys who are literally fighting each other and, and it's no holes barred. But then once you hit the ground, then those, that player can't get up. So he's just got to stay. And it's just non-stop fighting until the ball goes over the line and then they restart. And they have a semi-final. And then I think it's nine days later they had the final. And obviously in those nine days, they've got to fix each other up. There's broken legs and black eyes, broken noses, the works. And they said it's very, very rare where the 27 that started in the semi-final will all be ready by the time the final comes along. And, and because it's so violent, it gets played twice a year. So uh, who knows, maybe in a couple of years' time, this uh, might boil over into... Uh, increasing the Italian hockey side's uh, physicality, but it is an amazing sport to witness. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> All yours, Ty. I, oh, sorry to yeah, break away so, with that, that brief no, history lesson. No, no, no. We, we can uh, open up another a podcast. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've already discussed a few options before. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I wanted to ask you, Robin, I mean, obviously... Uh, national team coach, uh, you mentioned playing against the Europeans and stuff, but actually how hard is it to motivate the team? I mean, we you won the African Cup last year, um, but in truth, the African Cup, you know, I, I'm not one to ever agree with Saskok, but it's it's not the greatest tournament um, in the world. And, and the games, some of the games are fairly easy. It's hard to get out of first gear even, but how much of a challenge is that to motivate your team to, uh, you know, really raise it, raise the intensity, raise the, um, um, what, what's the word, the focus when they are playing against uh, 
the African counterparts as opposed to the Italians and the Spanish and the top nations in the world? Yeah. So for me as coach, I think every international game is just as important as, as any other. Um, you know, and, and it's very different playing the different types of games. So yes, Africa hockey is maybe different and not seen as higher profile, but playing those games are not easy because it's a different brand and style that they bring completely to the field. You know, so we also learn as a team um, when you are on top and you expect it to win, that brings you a very different pressure than being the underdog. So the, the, there's two very different sides. You know, when we're competing at international stage, and I'll say like Olympics, we are definitely the underdogs. We are the worst ranked team there or the lowest ranked team there. We, um, we need to go into a tournament and make a miracle happen, make a top eight and, and really tell that underdog story and what we can bring through. But on the other side, when we play in Africa, we are the, the number one team with a target on your back. And you know, performing under those conditions is different mindset and we're not used to. So I would almost say South Africa are better playing the underdog mentality than being number one seed and, and having to play and produce game in and game out. Um, and that's why I think it's important to do both. So we need to perform in Africa. Um, I mean, next year is going to be a World Cup qualifier through Africa. So really important to play that and understand that and go in with a different mindset. And then when you go into the world stage, like we did in Spain last year, it's losing that fear um, and playing to our capability and knowing that we can compete with most of the teams in the world, if not all. Um, and that's probably the difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, I was, I was fortunate enough to be in Stellenbosch and it was also clear that we were playing at that point of time a little bit under a cloud because as, as much as there was hope and, and uh, we have the right and according to the Olympic charts, we should be going to the Olympics. We weren't sure at that point that winning African Cup would be sufficient uh, to get us to the Olympic Games. Uh, obviously, subsequent to that, not before, um, it was confirmed that we would be going. And, uh, I mean, how much of the, an impact did that play on the team, that uncertainty around uh, Olympic involvement? Yeah, it, it was massive. Um, you know, going to Spain and being told we had to come in the top two, uh, we, didn't, we didn't meet that criteria. We played three and four. So, you know, going into Africa, we, almost, we were almost torn in some ways because we felt if we do win this tournament and we don't qualify for the Olympics... Um, I'm sure you know, but they don't give it to the next best African team. They give it to the next best world ranking team. So it's not like Ghana would have gone if we pulled out. If we pulled out, like Belgium ladies would go or Canada ladies would go. So, so it, was, it was very difficult playing because Africa do get a spot as a continent at the Olympics. And kind of by us playing that tournament and not going to the Olympics, we're stopping a ladies' representative team from going to the Olympics. So I think there was a, there was a lot around that. Um, but we decided, look, you know, the world ranking points are important. Um, when you to stay in competition and in the reckoning and where you need to be in world hockey, you need your world ranking points. And you get, I think it's 550 points through Africa. So it's important for the program that we did that. So. 
we, we did get through that. And then ultimately, yes, we, we were told we are going to the Olympics, so it worked out. Um, but it was a very different, um, a different tournament from a mindset point of view. But in saying that, you know, with all the struggles in that that we did, uh, the girls came to the party. I don't think in a world, in an in a African qualifier or a, sorry, an Africa Cup, um, the girls have won the final and semi-final by that kind of margin. So the girls came out and produced, which I was really happy with. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, what a lot of people forget is you also blooded a lot of youngsters. I mean, the likes of uh, Tati uh, was was making her debut on Satile. I mean, Ongi Mali is a, is a force to be reckoned with, incredibly young. Um, Marizan Maria, Hannah Pierce, so it's still a very young side uh, as well. I mean, yes, you've got the core of experience, but it's probably got a fairly young average age to your current squad. Yeah, and, and we've, we've really chosen that. Um, what we've tried to say is, you know, over the three-year cycle now um, with the World Cup and Commonwealth Games coming up, we want a big majority of that um, team to, to be the core. So, yes, there's some, I'm going to call them older girls, um, maybe more experienced girls um, with, within the team. Um, but definitely we have a really good balance with, um, I almost want to say when I'm finished coaching, the coach that takes over is going to have really good depth and a really good platform to continue this journey and not have 12 girls retire and then, you know, you start from scratch again. So yeah. um, I love the idea of, of blooding some of the youngsters through. Um, for December, we are going to announce an SAA team, which is something new um, for the ladies' side. I know the men did it last year. Um, and and we're going to have an SAA series versus the national team series. And again, it's just part of that process on bringing players through the system. Now, look, I absolutely love the the concept of an SAA team. Uh, Gareth did take it through us as well when he when he chatted to us. Like, I mean, we've got a wonderful pool of talent that uh, you know actually a game between SA and SAA could be an absolutely thrilling and exciting game. Robin, you were also obviously previously the under-21 coach. Uh, how much of a benefit has that been coming through to the senior squad and already having seen the younger players in um, performance and at, at the level that they can perform at? Yeah. Um, I mean, even before the under-21s, I was the S under-18 coach. So I was the S under-18 coach. Um, then we played against, you know, that series you have against Australia. Um and Hannah Pierce and Sandy Tabata and Tegan and Casey Dean and all those girls were in my S under 18 side. And then I became the national under 21 coach. And that was the PHL where we had the Daisies and, um, you know, KP was in that team. Um, and I've had, I've had really good continuations. Shanae Maddox and Kirsty Adams, they've all come through my under 18s in the 21s and now are available for the, for the, um, the national side and knowing these players and knowing the depth that's coming through is probably what excited me most about becoming the coach because I knew that not only at the current squad, but I knew what we've got coming through. And if we can nurture it properly, I do believe that South Africa will consistently be a top 10 team in the world. Um, Robin, other youngsters uh, that maybe we don't know about uh, coming through the ranks? 
Sure. Um, I, I can imagine the list, the list is long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, just in terms of ones that really, really stand out that we can keep tabs on for the near future. Yeah. Um, yeah again, it's difficult to, to mention names, um, but I like look at, I look at some of the youngsters coming through in Lenise now, Lenise Marais, um, under 21 team. And it excites me because they, they are fast, they fit, they fearless. Uh, the generation of, the, the youth nowadays, I mean, they're fearless and they get out there and play. But I mean, if, if I have to look in my team at the moment, I think the, I've still got a core of under-21 players. I mean, Tati Zulu and uh, Bianca Wood. I mean, I know you know these names and they're almost household, but it's ridiculous that they're 18, 19 years old. Um, you know, Hannah Pierce coming through, um, Sandy Tabata, um, Tegan Foree. I mean, they're all 21 years old and, and they... They are exceptionally gifted hockey players that are coming through the system. Yeah, they certainly are. I mean, uh, we've had, uh, we know Tegan Free quite well. She's actually been a, a guest of ours on the s- online sports quiz that we've been hosting uh, over the last couple of months. And I know we've chatted to you about it, and you'll certainly be a guest in the near future. But, you know, that, that certainly occupied our time during the lockdown. And, and you've really gone from strength to strength also during the lockdown with regards to uh, your online coaching platform. Yeah, um, uh, there was probably a group of us and we decided that, um, you know, as all the coaches in the country can't be out on the field coaching, um, let's create an online platform where really coaches should share knowledge. And I think one of the downfalls in South Africa, and, uh, and it's probably not only hockey, but in South African sport is that we think knowledge is power. So if I've got the power and I've got the knowledge then you know what, you're not going to succeed on the other side. And I really want to break that mold. That's probably a dream of mine is to let's share more and make South Africa as a nation better rather than protecting my own small environment. So in saying that, we, we launched a, a company and um, websites and platform called Run the Game. And we got coaches from all around the country to sign up. We've run two webinars a week and then two workshops linked to the topic of the webinar. And um, yeah, we've had engagement from over 480 coaches around South Africa. It's been a really good way um, in this time where we have to rely on technology and to kill our time to really just develop as coaches and spend the time that we wouldn't necessarily have um, doing research and understanding more about the game. So yeah, if 500 coaches in South Africa have learned something and can go and coach um, the, their, their um, you know, I want to say athletes, but their hockey players um, in a different way, then I think that's a really successful use of our eight weeks that we've had. 500. And you can couple. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> now, I was just going to say uh, 500 is an, an astounding amount. Um, I mean, you, you must have been blown away by, by the reaction. Uh, no doubt the feedback as well. And, and was it difficult to convert what you know from a physical sense onto the digital realm? Um, no, it, it wasn't too difficult because I think um, you know, as, as coaches on our level, we, we're used to doing the video analysis and we're used to doing presentations you know, for your teams. But that's really a foreign concept for school coaches. You know, they don't have the luxury of doing video analysis and team talks and long, you know, and really understanding. So, um, I mean, hockey really is broken into technical and tactical. 
And I think while the technical stuff happens on the field, um, I think this has been a good opportunity for, for coaches to tactically improve their game and understanding how different nations in the world play, how different structures work. Um, and, and that's been really exciting that the coaches have learned more tactically about the game of hockey. And, and for all those aspiring coaches who haven't been part of it, where, where can they find out more? Yeah, so runthegame.co.za, it's a website. Um, you can log on there, you, you sign up, it's free. You sign up and register and you have access to all the upcoming webinars and workshops and you book your seat and off you go. Oh, that's fantastic stuff. So that's runthegame.co.za. Also, obviously, active on the social media platforms. Um, of course, you've also launched your RVG Academy. Uh, what, what is the plans with that, Rob? Yeah, so that's, that's the other side of it. Um, as I said, there's the tactical side, and I wanted to improve um, coaches. Um, and then the RVG Academy, really, uh, another thing that I wanted to try and marry is my sports science background with um, hockey coaching. So what I find, especially at school level, is that hockey players burn out. Um, they get injured. They get returned back to um, sport too early. So really the RVG Academy, again, you can look on the website, but it's, it's aimed at the holistic approach of a hockey player. So if you go onto the RVG Academy, you will find mental, um, mental strength sessions. You will find physical conditioning. You can get rehab. You find your nutrition and your diet. And then there's also the ability to improve your hockey skills um, with coaching sessions. So the, the RVG Academy is, is to take an, a hockey player and look after their career and not only look after the immediate need and, and we injure and we lose a lot of players along the way. And, and one of the cool things, the other cool things that I've seen on the, the RVG Academy that you guys are doing is the SA Women's Hockey Show hosted by skipper Aaron Hunter. I think what we're about four episodes out. What, what is the, the thought behind this? So it's weird how the world evolves because of this lockdown. But um, it was also a way, I mean, the players can't train at the moment. Um, they are finding themselves a little bit of time on their hands. And, and the brainchild was because of Run the Game and the RVG Academy, we have the platform to host webinars and shows. So we gave the players an opportunity to, to run what we call the Saw Show and, and really there's a different theme and we have four players per episode and it's to, to get to know the inside of the team that you would never really see because you don't have that, that opportunity. So we've had a couple of great themes. We spoke about the Olympics. We've spoken about returning from injuries and dealing with the injuries. Um, and, and it's been, yeah, it's, it, it's been great for the, the players to take initiative um, run a show by Erin, who's doing a phenomenal job as a host. And then all the proceeds of that show go back into the ladies' team as well. And when is the is there a next another one planned soon? Yeah, so it's every second Wednesday. Um, we at five o'clock, there's a show. Wonderful awesome initiative. So you can check that out on RVG Academy. Is it .co.za? No, .com. .com. So rvgacademy.com. Check out the SA Women's Hockey Show. Of course, you can also... Follow RVG Academy on all the social media 
there's some great uh, Instagram and TikTok videos going around. Uh, in fact, Derek and I actually spoke to Lisa that as soon as I can, I'm going to also flick the ball over a pool and catch <laughs> it. Um, but it may take me a few more takes than it did take her. Um, it did take her a good couple. So you, you've got some in the bag, but I can guarantee you that if Lisa did it in 30 takes, it's going to take the normal person a lot longer. Yeah, my, my plan is to probably use my son's little blow-up pool because that's, yeah, that's the only way. Good the idea. only way I'm not going to fall in the water. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Uh, yeah, Robin, great initiative. And, and like you said, it has been amazing to see how people have managed to adapt during this lockdown. And and we've realized what we're capable of. And uh, as I say, I mean, a, a common South African expression with the Budamaka plan. And, and certainly that has been the case. We've had to make plans and changes and and adapt. And uh, congratulations on doing exactly that. Um, what does the future hold for Robin Van Ginkel over the next uh, couple of years? Uh, I know, obviously, you're, you are committed to the SA side uh, for the forthcoming years, but... Um, I mean, you speak about the sports science side of things. Uh, you want to adapt that more in, into coaching. You've also uh, got Game On with the RVG Academy. You've also got your online platform now. I mean, geez, you've um, got a, a lot of eggs in one basket that you, you're having to juggle at the moment. Yeah, um, I do, but they, they're all fairly closely related. And, and I guess when you ask what the future holds, um, something we haven't spoken about and what's really important is all these other little things are, are kind of on the side and, you know, it's a passion. Um, but the job that I have at St. Stidians College, you know, being the, the director of hockey and the director of sports science and athletic development, um, that's really, I would, I would see it myself as my base. Um, I, I'm the director of hockey there for all five schools. And then I also do athletic development from grade zero until matric. Um, so, you know, running the high performance there, um, the high performance center and the side, I um, use my sports science daily. Um, and then also on the hockey front, I use that. And I think, you know, hockey is not professional and it's not the rugby's and the, the crickets and the footballs of the world. So we, we heavily rely on our, our job. And we, um, and yeah, since Stillians has given me the ability to, to start these other things on the side because. They, they support and back me as the national coach and as a hockey coach. So um, it goes hand in hand. Um, I do see myself at St. for a long time um, ahead and as the base and, and doing what I can for that um, building on RVG Academy and run the game to, to educate and help other coaches and players around the country. Oh, I'm glad that you mentioned uh, St. Stidian. So we were going to go into that. But yeah, uh, it really has been amazing to see uh, a school of such stature support you and also enable you to, to, do, to, to, to chase uh, one of your passions, which is a national team. And I mean, we, we, we always beat this drum regarding hockey and money. They are not great bedfellows. And, and that hasn't been the case for SA for, for quite some time. We, we really do hope that that situation does change in the future. But you certainly have been put in a position where you are able to do the best of your role within the SS side, thanks a lot to the support that you are given by St. Stidians. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I don't think I would be the national coach if it wasn't for the blessing and the, the support and the guidance of, of St. Stidians. Um, I did have a, a boss. He's actually just moved to, um, 
the previous rectors just moved to Shanghai, um, and we've got a new rector in, and both of them have fully supported me in my journey um, as a coach and sports scientist, and they continue to to grow me and and you know from a personal development and a professional development, the school's really big into that, um, and it gives me the freedom to to chase a dream. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, whatever I learn and whatever I do out there, you, know, you put back into your environment and. I think it's a good win-win for both sides. Oh, I'm very, very glad to hear. So, yeah, kudos to Sensitivians, and well done for you for being able to to get the job first and foremost and also to be able to to do as good a job as you've done within uh, the sides that you have coached. So congratulations. Um, I think without further ado, it's uh, time to move on to the dreaded one-question quiz. This is Pumele Lambande, SA Hockey Vice Captain and Goalkeeper, and you're listening to Hockey the Podcast by Radar Media. You, you say dreaded, but after Cicely got it right last week, I think we're now sitting at a 30% pass wow. rate. Okay. Yeah, but Seedler is clever. Like, <laughs> like, I don't even know what I'm in for you. What, what, what are you doing? Uh, we asking you one question. And you need to get it right to succeed. That's it. Uh, and they're very, very varied. And they, they're usually fairly tough. Um, and it's usually linked to your name. And that is indeed the question that we've got for this afternoon's one question quiz bonanza. Are we going with Pam or Robin? <laughs> oh, God, uh, no, didn't even start with that. that that's brilliant, though. Um, I, I, was, I was curious, though, as to why they nicknamed you Pam Anderson and not Hoff after David Hasselhoff. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I, they probably thought that like it'll be it'll be tougher for me to live this name. Oh, the, oh, that's a good idea. That's a good point, actually. It, 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 yeah, I, that, that's actually always the case. The person, people with the worst nicknames, didn't nickname themselves, and that's the reason yeah. why they have those nicknames because they need to stick. And yeah, the half would have probably disappeared fairly early on. Um, okay, so I want to know from you, uh, Batman, arguably one of the most famous comic book heroes of all time, has a sidekick. What is the sidekick? No, I'm kidding. That's far too easy. The sidekick's name is obviously Robin. Um, what is Robin's real name? No idea. Sure, mm. I have no idea. <laughs> Was it that tough? Uh, his first name. James. No, his first name. And yeah, I'm not going to give the, the Urban Dictionary uh, translation of this um, is the first name of another comic book character who was a detective. He used to wear a yellow, yellow trench coat and a hat. Is that a name that uh, can be misconstrued? Yeah, very much so. Well, or construed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and, and the comes to mind, but it's not. Yeah. Him. And the surname, the first half of the surname is a color. So the, it's two syllables, and the second, the first syllable is a color, which has made been made uh, quite popular of recent years uh, due to a author who's realised what women really want <laughs> to a certain extent. I think it was E.L. James is saying. Um, author no. was E.L. James. Yeah, that was the author. So. Okay, I'm going to put you out of your misery. The, uh, the first name was Dick, and I was looking at uh, Dick Tracy for another clue. 
And then the book that I was mentioning was Fifty Shades of Grey. So that's the color grey. So the, the, the guy's name is Dick Grayson, who went on to become Robin, who teamed up with uh, Bruce Wayne, who was otherwise known as Batman. Oh, I can see why I changed his name to Robin because <laughs> Dick wouldn't have worked on the <laughs> exactly uh, on the big screen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Robin, it's been fantastic chatting to you, man. Yeah, thank you. Um, always great chatting, and uh, thank you for this platform. Um, share more around the game of hockey. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Anything from your side, Ty? Yeah, no, I just wanted to say yeah, thanks, Pam. Uh, it's been a, a very cool journey, and thanks for. Uh, always keeping me updated on what's going on and, and letting me know what's happening in the world of hockey so that um, I'm able to tell the story. Uh, obviously, good luck uh, for the the year ahead. Um, and I hope uh, that the corona fears and, and safety manages to clear up so that you guys are able to get back on the turf, both from a St. Stidian's point of view and from a um, national team point of view. Um, and we go from there. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. Thanks for all you do. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, Robin. Have a great afternoon, and uh, we'll chat to you soon. Cool, Ty. Yeah, what a great guy. Jeez, what an outstanding list of achievements. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful career. He's done really well to to progress to the top. He's taken his opportunities, and he's been a good ambassador for the sport of hockey. Yeah, he certainly has. And uh, that's... Uh, Wraps up yet another outstanding guest that uh, you have introduced us to. And uh, we're edging our way closer to that 50 mark. Yeah, I'm ready to raise my raise my stick and uh, hear the adoring fans cheer and uh, offer tissues for all those that are crying because they're happy tears. And uh, I'm getting very ahead of myself. So uh, <laughs> to all three, let's you and uh, look forward. Thanks, Ma. Uh, <laughs> episode 50. Yeah, we can't wait. Cheers, Sai. Cheers, D.